Uh, but please uh, join me as we get into God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, I thank you for your word and I pray that it would speak into our hearts that we might be changed, that we might leave this place a little freer, a little more forgiven, a little bit more like you than when we came. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, I, I, have, I have to tell you, I had an 11th hour change to my sermon yesterday. I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit, and so I, I made some changes. Rick saw the changes. He saw the little lines on my manuscript for the slides and all of that fun stuff. Um, and I, I now have what is probably going to be the most expensive sermon illustration that I've ever, I've ever shared. It cost $615 but you're going to have to wait to the end of the sermon for that. So just kind of hold, hold tight. Today's our, our fourth week in our series, The Elephant in the Family Room. I love uh, The Elephant is back in the family room this morning. Um, the last service, it was hanging out in the office. And I think before that, it was at the coffee bar. It's been making its way around um, the building here this morning. Um, but we have been talking about the elephants that lurk in the midst of our families and our relationships. And it's all been under this overarching premise that God God has a plan. God has an ideal and a standard for all of our families, no matter what shape, size, or season they're in. And at the same time, none of us are living up to it perfectly. But there's one elephant that isn't in the room. There's one elephant that at least physically isn't in the room. And you probably have an idea of who I'm talking about. It's, it's the, the dad, the sister, the, the cousin, the son, the one that that blew up, that, that got in a fight, that did something wrong, the one that stopped coming around for Thanksgiving, the one that isn't invited to birthday parties anymore, the one that nobody talks to, even though everybody's thinking about. See, the empty void that's left by their lack of presence can feel even bigger than when they are in the room, which is why we're still calling this an elephant. And so we're turning to, to God's word for some insight in, in this, this thing we call reconciliation and how God might speak truth into those relationships in our lives. And so we turn to 2 Corinthians. And I want to give you a little bit of background of what this passage uh, is about, and then we'll get into it. Uh, it was written some 2,000 years ago. Uh, to a church in a place called Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And it was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle. And it was a first-generation church he was writing to that he started. He started it in this community because this community was a very prominent community, kind of like New York City. It culturally had this effect on the people all around the region. So he thought, if I can get Jesus into this town then they will then share the message of the gospel 
outward to all of the people around them. And, and it was a great plan, but when he left, this town had all these other outside influences, and they allowed these outside influences back into their lives, and then some new influences, and it led to some bad choices. They were fighting amongst themselves. They lacked integrity in their relationships with their bodies. They became too legalistic about the wrong things, and then they got too relaxed about things you should be a little bit more legalistic about. And then it got so bad that they were a church focused on Jesus, and they started to deny who Jesus was as the Son of God, that he came to rescue the world from their sins and their mistakes by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. And so Paul challenged them on this, and they responded the way most people respond when they're confronted. You're not the boss of me. I didn't say that exactly, but that was essentially the message they gave to him. They got defensive. And if you think about your own family, you think about maybe the person that you started to think about just a minute ago in this message, the person in your family that's disappeared, chances are pretty good that it was a conflict in that situation that led to their departure as well, wasn't it? You know, somebody did something, somebody said something, somebody confronted them about it, and they left. Well, for Paul, it continued to escalate, and they started to question everything about Paul. They said, you know, what do you know? Who, who do you think you are? Who, who made you better than us? Who died and rose again and made you an apostle to, the, to which he said, Jesus, because that's his story. But more than that, he said, no, I'm not better than you. It's all about Jesus. And what Jesus has done for us is to inform everything we do for one another. And that's the premise that enters into verse 16, our reading today, where Paul says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of, say it with me, reconciliation, that God was, say it with me, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of what? Reconciliation. Do you think Paul's trying to get some word into our brains? Reconcile, reconcile, reconciliation, reconcile. In other words, all of humanity walked away from God, made mistakes. We call these things sin. And while we were still lost in ourselves in this world, Jesus came to reconcile us. Now, if you think about reconciliation, you know that by definition, reconcile means two things that are apart from one another. And in order for those two things to come together, one side is going to have to lose something so that one side can gain something. And in this situation, Jesus lost everything that we might gain everything. That's the gospel. And what Paul says is that if you believe that to be true for you, if that's your life, if that's your God, then your job between now and heaven is to tell that to others. And the way we tell that to others is not so much always just telling them with our words, but a lot of people aren't going to believe it when we say it with our words, which is why we need to live it. 
so that they can see it in our lives. That's why he continues in verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's our job as a Christian, as ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. Your life and how you live it is the way God wants to explain to the world that he loves them and that he wants them to come back to him. It's through the way you live. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be, say it with me, reconciled, that word again, to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's the premise. That's what we're called to do. But my question then always jumps to, what does that look like, right? Like practically speaking, what does it look like to live this way? And thankfully, Jesus answers that question in the Gospel of Matthew in this this story he tells, this parable of the unforgiving servant. And I'm going to give you kind of the, the, the conclusion that I want you to focus in on so you can see it as we go through the story. And it's this, that forgiveness is the essential ingredient to reconciliation. Forgiveness is the essential ingredient to reconciliation. You're going to see that over and over again. We cannot have reconciliation unless we have forgiveness. Now, we go back before the story I'm about to tell you, the parable. Um, You'll see the entire chapter is about this whole concept of reconciliation. Earlier in chapter 18 of Matthew, Jesus teaches that when somebody sins against you, the way we're to deal with that is to go to the person, and he says it's for the purpose of reconciliation. And then you had Peter, who was very smart, and Peter knew that you couldn't reconcile without forgiveness. He understood this. And so you got this conversation that we're all probably familiar with between Peter and Jesus. He comes up to Jesus in verse 21, and he says, Lord, how often when my brother sins against me am I to forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And so how do we follow the Bible in that? If, if somebody has done us wrong 78 times, you're done? Yeah, right? Yay! Right? Let me just quickly forgive them, right? One, two, you have a little clicker, right, for forgiveness, right? Yay, I'm done. No! <laughs> like, you know what that means. Like, he's, he's kind of making a point here. He says, he says, you forgive again and again and again and again, and when you're tired of forgiving, you forgive again and again and again and once more. And the reason why is because Jesus knows there's a difference between ending a conflict and reconciling. And forgiveness is the essential ingredient to reconciliation. Jesus says to forgive again and again and again because conflict draws us away and reconciliation draws us together. Now, now you think about the elephant in your living room, in your family room, and, and, and think about a conflict that you've been a part of. You can walk away from that person, but what ends up happening is the elephant then takes up residence in your living room. And you know this, right? We've all experienced this. And the only way to get the elephant out is through forgiveness. And that's why Jesus answers the question and says, forgive, 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 over and over again, 70 times 7. But then he says, that's, that's all theoretical. Let's get practical. And so he tells a story. He says, he says this. This is what it looks like. Verse 23. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As they began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, like, whoa, 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, now just stop here for a minute. Put yourself in the shoes of this person. Like, like if you have a mortgage or you have credit card debt, or you have student loans, or whatever, just imagine if tonight you got a phone call from the bank and said your entire loan is due in full by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Would you sleep tonight? Probably not. And you'd get up early, and you'd drive out to the bank, and you would find your way to the manager's office, and you would beg as much as you possibly can. You'd kiss their toes. You'd do whatever you can and say, would you just... Please, give me mercy, give me grace, help me, just let me have more time. And imagine if that was you, and that's what you did. And the manager said, it's finished. And you looked at the manager, you said, you mean you've already sent it to collections? No, it's finished. You mean i got to make minimum payments? No, you're forgiven. No mortgage, no car payment, no student loans, no, no credit card debt, none of it. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's finished. You don't have any debt anymore. How would you respond? Anybody? <laughs> Hallelujah. Some of you are like, is he going to teach us how to do that? Is that where this parable's going, right? You would run out the door, like throw the doors open. You'd kiss the first person you saw in the street. You'd buy, buy dinner for everybody. You'd call your wife. You'd text your kids. You'd be like, I won the lottery. Like that's the logical response to that situation. And that's not what this guy does. Jesus continues. Verse 28, he says, when the servant went out, so he left the bank, he's forgiven, the note has been paid. He says he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, now don't, don't, don't forget, he just got forgiven 10,000 bags of gold. This guy, he bought him a coffee two years ago, and he owes him for it. And he went and found him, and he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. And he said, he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Remember, you've heard this before, haven't you? Verse 30, he said he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged, and they went and they told the master everything that had happened. Now, what's, what's wrong with this guy, right? Like, the master finds out and, and responds the way you would expect the master to respond. Verse 32, the master calls the servant in and says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured that he, until he should pay back all that he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember, forgiveness is the essential ingredient to reconciliation. That's an obnoxious story, isn't it? 
And Jesus knows it's an obnoxious story. The irony is not lost on anyone that this dude was forgiven so much, and yet he could not forgive someone so little in comparison. But Jesus uses it to illustrate our relationship with God and what God has done for us through Jesus. We have been reconciled to the very creator of the universe. We've been reconciled to him that we get to be in relationship with him. I love Lisa prayed that just a few minutes ago she said thank you God that we get to do this that we get to be here that God's presence is with us and us with him we've been reconciled to him and it is his plan as Paul describes that we would then go forth and reconcile with others so that they would know the love of God for them that the way we relate to our friends and family would communicate to the world what God has done for us. Because see, reconciliation and forgiveness is not just about you. But see, the real clincher is that when you don't forgive, it isn't just about the other person either. You're the one who loses. You think about that story, right? Like this guy walks out of the bank and he goes on a mission to find this guy that owes him a couple of dollars in comparison. And if he's so focused on doing that, what you know is that he is not feeling the joy of having been forgiven all of that debt because he's so focused on going after this other guy. And what we learn is that as long as your hand is clenched around the neck of somebody that you have done wrong, you can't use it to receive the forgiveness that God has given you. If your hand is clenched around somebody else's neck, then it's tight and you can't open your hands and receive what God has for you. And if you can't receive it, then you can't give it. And if you can't give it, then you can't be reconciled. And God wants reconciliation through forgiveness. He doesn't just want you to know that you're forgiven. He wants you to feel forgiven. I always think of the proverb, Proverbs uh, 22.7 when I read this passage. He says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, this guy was a slave to the master, right? He owed all of that debt. But when the master forgave it all, he no longer was a slave to the master, but he was still a slave, and now he was a slave to himself because he wouldn't let it go. He was forgiven for a little while, but... There was a short period where he didn't owe anything, and he was so busy not forgiving his fellow servant that, practically speaking, it didn't matter. He never lived in that freedom. Now, do you struggle with that? I know I struggle with that. God wants you to live forgiven, not just to know that you're forgiven by God, but to live forgiven. That's why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray that, uh, forgive us our trespasses, say the next part with me, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Have you ever thought about those two things? Forgive us our trespasses. That part's easy. I ask God to forgive me all the time, right? But do you ask God to forgive you at the same level as you forgiving other people? In the parable, you see that the guy got thrown in prison where he was tortured. But it's just the parable. The truth is we're in our own prison and we're being tortured as long as we are not forgiving. We are not experiencing the forgiveness that God has for you and for me. And it's it's illustrated really well. I've shared this a couple of times now in this, this um, parable of the old South Indian monkey trap. Maybe you've heard this before. 
it, it's, it's this monkey trap. What they, they make it, it's very simple. It's out of a coconut, and, and they'll just cut a little hole in it, just enough for the monkey to be able to get its hand in. And they put rice inside of it, and they tie it to like a boulder. And the monkey can get its hand inside of there, and it grabs the rice. But the problem is, once it grabs the rice, its fist is too big to get out of the hole. And it's trapped. But see, it's not really trapped. All it has to do is let go. <laughs> and they don't. And so the monkey is stuck. Now, I could never in a single sermon or even in an entire series speak into all of the different things that people have said and done to us, especially in our families, that we might be holding back forgiveness for. Some of us, I mean, we hold back forgiveness. Some of us, we hold it back just because we're stubborn. And if that's you, ask God to soften your heart. He can do that. But there's others of us who have been really legitimately hurt by people who are close to us. And and this is not a sermon on conflict resolution. That was last week. And I don't want to minimize the hurt. And you may not even be able to safely or physically go to the person who has hurt you that you need to forgive. But that's why Jesus says in verse 35 that this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Say it with me. From your heart. From your heart. Do it in your heart. Let it start there. The person you need to forgive, they might be dead. It might be a parent. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. Forgive in your heart first. It pains me how many of us walk out those doors every single week hearing of God's forgiveness, but we, are, we should be walking out and shoving the doors open like the guy who was just forgiven. Like we've been reminded that, wow, everything has been taken off my shoulders, and we don't, and the reason we don't is because our hands are still clenched around somebody's neck. We're holding back forgiveness, and holding back forgiveness prevents recognition Reconciliation, the very ministry, the purpose, the job that Jesus' followers have been called to do. I told you I, I had to, I threw kind of a, a curveball at my sermon yesterday because I was here practicing and I, I practice out loud. So if you ever come into the church later in the week, you might be like, who's he preaching to? My, my sons were here with me and they walked in and they said, we thought somebody was in here, it's just you. And, and I was I was practicing my sermon and I read that line and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Tom, you can't preach this sermon until you deal with something, with a relationship that needs reconciliation. I told you it's my $615 sermon illustration. So earlier this summer, we hired a contractor to come do some work for us at our house and it was really hard to get somebody to do this and so um, we, we tried to get in early and they needed $615 for materials and so I sent them $615 and they were supposed to show up on a Monday and Monday came and they didn't show up. I said, well, we're going to come on Friday. So they came, they said they were going to come on Friday. They didn't come on Friday either. And this, this went on over and over again. And I'd text them and I'd call them and I was trying to be really grace-filled. And, and I, I gave, you know, there was all these different excuses. And, and one after another, they would set a date and they didn't come and they didn't come and they didn't come until finally they stopped responding to my calls and to my text messages. And so I did what any Christian would do. I, I Googled how to file a small claims judgment in court. <laughs> 
I was going to sue him. <laughs> I said, well, listen, I said, this guy's got $615, and then I had to hire somebody else to do the work, and I still don't have my money, and this is, like, wrong, and I was so mad at this guy, and, I, and so I Googled that, and I figured out how to go and, and how to really sue the guy. And, and, and I was just busy, and I haven't had a chance to go do it yet, but up until yesterday, it was still in my head. i got to go take care of this. i gotta got to take this as injustice. This is wrong. This guy's got my money. He won't do anything. i got to go take care of this. And what I realized as I read this line, holding back forgiveness prevents reconciliation. The very ministry as followers of Jesus were called to do. What I realized is that what is even more valuable than the $615 that I don't have in my pocket right now is the fact that almost every day I think about this guy that I'm angry at. Every day. And some of you might be like, well, that's very immature. Well, that's just where I'm at. I was mad at him. And almost every day I think about this guy. And here I am ready to preach a sermon about forgiveness and reconciliation. And I'm reading Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that my primary job, I, I, I am on my way to heaven. I'm an ambassador here, is, is not to get everything that I have coming to me in a worldly sense, but it is to be reconciled with other people that they might see that God wants to reconcile with them. And so I sat in that front pew. And I pulled out my phone and I text messaged this guy. And this is what I said. I said, hi, I'm not going to tell you his name. So this is Tom from Elkhorn. I'm the, the guy that you were not able to complete the repair for this past summer. I just wanted to tell you that I forgive you for not sending the refund that I was owed. I felt led to tell you this as we are studying forgiveness at my church tomorrow. I was very angry at you, but have been thinking about how Jesus has forgiven me for so many things over the years, and the least I can do is forgive you. I hope this finds you well and in a better place than earlier this year. God's peace, Tom. And as soon as I hit send, he called me. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been great, though, right? Like, I was praying all afternoon. I'm like, if he would just send me a, a text message, if he would come to Jesus, I could tell everybody what happened. It would be the best sermon illustration in the world. But I wonder if maybe this is even better. Because isn't that life? <laughs> you know, I can't control him. I don't know what's going on in his life. I was talking to somebody after the the first service, they were telling me about their daughter. Well, she went to small claims court, and she got it, and all this stuff. We're having this conversation. And I said, you know, if, if he slighted me, he's probably slighting other people. And if he's slighting other people, my goodness, there must be so many other things going on in this guy's life. So many other things. And, and, and I might never see the impact that my forgiveness for him has. Who knows? Who knows? But I can tell you 24 hours after I sent that text message how I feel. I got my hand out of the trap. So who's on your mind? Who is the Holy Spirit placed on your heart this morning? When you saw that we were going to talk about reconciliation, when you heard me say the elephant that isn't in the room, my guess is that there's someone in your life that immediately came to mind. Why don't we pray about that right now? Lord Jesus I'm sure there's situations that are as varied as the number of people in this room this morning. People who have wronged us 
forgiveness that we have withheld because we have a right, because they did us wrong, because they owe us something. Jesus, in, in the parable, you, you don't dispute the reality that this servant owed his friend a couple of silver coins. He hadn't paid it back. And there was no question that, that that would have been the right thing to do. But as we look at the Apostle Paul, we see that we're called to a higher standard of living. And we're going to leave everything behind on this planet. And that our primary purpose as followers of Jesus is, is not only to be reconciled with you so that we can go to heaven and, and that we can worship and all of those things, but but it's so that we can take on the ministry of reconciliation in our relationships right now. And so, God, I pray for each person in this room, and I pray that you would place a name on our hearts and in our minds, and that we might have the courage to walk out those doors and send them a text message, that we might have the courage right now to ignore the pastor's prayer and pull out our phone and send a message and say, I forgive you. Or maybe to begin just by simply saying that in a prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Help us to take our hand out of the trap. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God's word tells us that if, if we have somebody on our hearts that what's even more important than you coming up for communion, what's even more important than you placing an offering in the offering basin is, is to step away and be reconciled first. And then you come forward and you see that the only reason that we can be reconciled, that we can extend forgiveness that, that isn't deserved and isn't warranted is because we ourselves have received it in the ultimate sense from Jesus who stepped down to reconcile us to himself 2,000 years ago. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he, he broke it with the disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body, broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, Jesus took the cup of blessing and he gave thanks and he gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. As often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we remember what God has done for us and we surrender ourselves to him that we may be able to go and extend forgiveness that by ourselves we just don't have the courage to do. And so what I want to encourage you to do right now is I want you to just picture in your hands Whoever it is, you're still clenched around. And if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you believe that you have been reconciled with him, let go by opening up your hands as a sign of surrender to God and praying the way that Jesus teaches.